HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Kinda dripping off the meat grinder, heat liner, pimping, stripping, soft, sweet minor. China was a neat sign of trouble with the script digits, double dip, bubble lips. Hello, happy Wednesday. You are listening to the Farm Report. I'm Jack Inslee. Heather Hyman. And we are hanging out here on a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Wednesday afternoon at Roberta's restaurant on the Heritage Radio Network. And today we're brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market reminds you that every bite has a story. So whether it's a tomato, a muffin, or a T-bone steak, your conscious food choices can change the planet. Because at Whole Foods Market, every single purchase you make helps us support things like animal welfare, organic agriculture, equitable trade, and energy offsets. Let's think before we eat, and let's retake our plates delicious tweets you can see instant sale alerts and their contests find answers and get cooking follow whole foods market on twitter at whole foods nyc so today uh we're going to be talking about some recent changes that have affected the very small slaughterhouses that we love and support here on heritage radio network and to talk with us about this we have one of our biggest supporters and friends, Mario Fantasma of Paradise Locker Meats in Tremble, Missouri. Mario, are you with us? Yes, I am. How's it going? Fine. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. I'm here with good. Heather. Hey, Mario. Hi, Hi Heather. <laughs> and I know Jack recently mentioned he just said small uh, processing facilities, but um, some of the issues we're going to be talking today, do they um, are they uh, going to affect uh, meat processors all across the board, big and small? Yes, they will. All right. Well, um, why don't you start off by giving us a little bit of background on what these HACCP validation issues are that um, we're talking about I'm today? Sorry, I'm going to interrupt real quickly, Mario. Why don't first of all, for our for our listeners who might not even know what a HACCP plan is, mm-hmm. what is a HACCP plan, and how does that play into what you do? Our HACCP plan uh, basically entails um, uh, the way we process products in our plant. It's our check system uh, that is. Uh, that has used science to prove uh, to validate our process on how we uh, produce products. In other words, um, it's our safety shield. It's what uh, it's what keeps us, uh, you know, sending out good product. I mean, products that that uh, that won't make people sick. I mean, those kinds of things. You know, it's our guidance uh, on how we process our products. 
cool. And now, as we understand, uh, there's there's been a major change made to to how how you're going to have to implement these HACCP plans. Now, what what did you used to have to do? What was the regulation for you uh, on a normal procedure? As far as uh, following our HACCP systems, uh, the way it is today. Yeah. Uh, we have scientific documentation that, that shows that if we do a certain process a certain way, that we will produce safe food products. Uh, and it's the implement, implementation of that process that creates the safe food. So as we go through our system and our plant, we have uh, critical control points that we follow, uh, that we meet, and uh, we have zero tolerances for product, uh, you know, for E. coli and for other issues like that that, uh, uh, that we have uh, instilled in our HACCP plans to make sure that we are producing safe products. Now, how many different HACCP plans do you have for products that you produce? We have like seven different HACCP plans at this point. Um, uh, and we do that because uh, you know we're we're pretty diversified. Smaller plants can do a lot more different things. Uh, you know we have uh, slaughter HACCP plans. We have uh, fresh meat HACCP plans. Um, we have HACCP plans for smoked products, for heat tra- uh, heat treated products. So we have a, a variety. <laughs> now, to my understanding, you process more than just one kind of livestock, correct? Yes, we do. And those would be. Uh, I'm sorry, that would be beef. Uh, we process beef, pork, lamb. Uh, those are our main three. Uh, we do not do poultry. Okay. So now with what the, um, I guess, what's going to happen with some of these new, um, you know, implications that they're trying to, to produce here with the USDA and uh, the Federal Safety Inspection Food Service, um, what would happen um, because of all these different kinds of livestock you produce? Would you have to come up with new HACCP plans for every different kind of animal? Well, basically, uh, what they're wanting to do is create, uh, you know, they want to do a testing validation for all these products, which is a, uh, which really doesn't change our process. So, in other words, it's just uh, costing us a lot more money to do a lot of testing that's not necessary. Um, you know, our products are coming out. Uh, we have again we have scientific proof that our that our HACCP plans work okay. and uh, this testing is just an extra burden on us uh, and in our facilities you know just the cost of validation is is incredible for the testing um, it would basically just run us out of business now when you say it's going to cost you more money does that mean it's just going to take you more time and therefore cost you money or are- no 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 it's it's all the testing. Uh, we have some worksheets that we're working up right now. We don't have an exact number on us, but I can give you a couple of numbers that a couple of the other Missouri, smaller Missouri plants uh, have came up with with their HACCP plans. And again, they're running, you know, six to eight HACCP plans each. Um, one of the plants is, is uh, right around $130,000 for the initial year uh, of validation. And it doesn't stop there because they have to continue to test every year after that. Yeah. And then uh, another plant is somewhere in the vicinity of two hundred and thirty thousand dollars for the initial, uh, you know, for the initial uh, validation testing. That, that what they would have to do if they continued doing all of their all their work, because you have to test for each HACCP plan. You also have to test for the critical control points uh, before and after to make sure that you're validating that your process is working. Are those numbers you just gave us, that's what you're paying now, or is that what you... No, 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 we don't pay that right now. Okay. This is in addition to what we're doing already. Which is funny because... 
I'm looking at yep. an article here uh, from Zanesville Times Recorder projecting that it might cost $12,000 per product line more. Is, but the number you gave seems to be a well, little bit... Well, when you have 25 or 45 different products, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. go from there. I mean, and yeah, $12,000 per product line. <laughs> yeah, and product variety is uh, unique to smaller facilities. Well, yeah, facilities. sure it is. I mean, we could have, you know, a person could have, you know, eight, ten different snack sticks that oh. he creates. Yeah, and how many have different sausages? Different <laughs> yeah, and the different sausages and and uh, not to mention, you know, the, the you know, on the slaughter. So really, you know, uh, on the slaughter part of it, yeah, you're going to have to validate and do the testing on all that. But when you get into all the different products that you create, that's where the real big money comes in, you know. And those are the things that this is what what <laughs> keeps our business alive. Right. So a, a much bigger facility that might be only you know producing a few varieties. I'm guessing they wouldn't even have to pay as much as you guys, even though they might make a whole lot more. Well, that may not be necessarily true okay. uh, because of the repetition of their validation and, and because of the okay. amount of animals they may do. So, again, across the board, it doesn't matter if you're big or small. Uh, you know, the whole food industry is going to take a, a, a hit on this, uh, not to mention the consumers. It's incredible. Are you able to share with us how much you pay for these validations now? Uh, we don't pay for validations right now. Uh, we have spent time, a lot of time on our HACCP plans developing them, mm-hmm. doing research on all the uh, documents that we need to to back up our HACCP plans. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, the cost of doing business is expensive as it is. Uh, this would just be, this would just put us over the board. It, it would just, uh, I think you'd see a lot of small, small businesses go out of business. I mean, they would be gone. You know, and the bad part about it is it's it's the trickle effect too, uh, how it affects everyone else that relies on our small businesses. In the state of Missouri, we have uh, in MAP we have uh, over a hundred different processors that uh, that work in this state. Um, you know, if you can imagine, you know, half of those gone because uh, they can't produce products anymore. They have to go back to doing custom slaughter. Uh, and maybe they've geared towards doing USDA products, and they need the revenue to to pay for their buildings and pay for their equipment. Uh, some of them couldn't sustain that; they they would probably go out of business. Yeah. What know? what exactly is the difference? I mean, I think it, it mentioned somewhere that custom slaughter would still not have to follow some of these new validation um, HACCP plan things that they're trying to put into effect. Well, a custom the custom slaughter plant still has to follow USDA regulations, mm-hmm. regardless. However, uh, custom slaughter is just that. They do product for a particular person, and that product goes to that person. So in other words, if a farmer brings in a beef, he gets it cut up, it gets marked not for sale, and it goes directly back to that farmer. So it can never cross a state line or they anything They can never like cross that. a state line. They cannot sell it. All the, in other words, the commerce, um, you know, for the small farmer, that, you know, you see all the farmer markets, all the meats and products and all that stuff that, that are there, uh, that, would be, that would disappear. Well, that's not what we want to happen. <laughs> definitely no. not. So that definitely affects all the farmers that you know, I know that Heritage Foods works with and probably a lot of the farmers that you work with um, at your facility. Yes. Um, well, we are actually going to take a short break. When we come back, we have J.B. Wenther. He's um, the executive director of the American Association of Meat Processors uh, to join us. So we're going to take a short break. We're going to say thanks again to Whole Foods Market for sponsoring us today. We'll be right back. 
Living off borrowed time, the clock tick faster That'll be the hour they knock the slick blaster Dick dastardly and muttly with sick laughter A gunfight and they come to cut the mix master I-C-E cold, nice to be old Y-2-G Steve twice to threefold He sold scrolls, low and behold Know who's the illest ever, like the greatest story told Keep your glory gold and glitter For half, half of his niggas will take him out the picture The other half is rich and it don't mean shit to Feeling a mixture between both with a twist of liquor Chase it with more beer Taste it like truth for dear When he at the mic It's like the place get like Oh yeah It's like they know what's about to happen Just keep your eye out Like I eye capping Is he still a fly guy clapping If nobody ain't hear it And can they testify from in the spirit And living the true gods Giving y'all nothing but the lick Like two broads Got more lyrics than the church Got ooh lords And he hold the mic in your attention Like two swords Or either one with two blades on it Hey you Don't touch the mic like it's AIDS on it Yeah, it's like the end to the memes Fuck type of message that sends to the fiends That's why he bring his own needles And get more cheese than Doritos, Cheetos or Fritos Slip like Freudian Your first and last step to playing yourself like accordion When he at the mic, you don't go next. Leaving pussy cats like why hoes need Potex. Exercise index. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, and this is the Farm Report. I'm Jack Inslee. Heather Hyman. And we're we've been speaking with Mario Fantasma of Paradise Locker Meets, and now we are glad to have JB Wenther, Executive Director of the American Association of Meat Processors, on the phone with us right now. Jay, you there? Yes, I am. Great to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. We wanted to open up with a question. Um in regards to this all, from a consumer standpoint, one might say or one might think that all of these extra safety guidelines would be a good thing for a consumer. And uh, you know, how would you how would you address that point? We often hear that from consumer groups that when microbial and more microbial testing is brought into the equation and brought into the conversation, many consumers think that that is a good thing. Which you know, food safety is top priority for our meat processors around the country. That I mean, it, it's what they feed their family. It's what they they sell to their customers. It's the same product. Um, to address that issue specifically, we're not opposed to microbial testing, but if if consumers think that this microbial testing is going to add the safety to our product, they're kind of mistaken in that aspect of it because. For true microbial testing to take place to be a viable and statistically sound process to make an impact on food safety, you must rely on the basis of of what microorganisms are and how they actually grow and the impact on those microorganisms through testing and through interventions. And and from what we've seen right now with these guidelines, we could do all this testing and we're we're really unsure at this point what actual impact that would have on food safety um, because of the fact that you kind of have to have pathogens on your product before you can sample <laughs> and then determine after sampling and after all your interventions and then test for that same pathogen. And if it ends up being zero, then yes, you can prove a food safety impact on it, but it's not going to drive that food safety impact. And looking at that data, if you start with zero micro- microorganisms on your say, a beef carcass or a pork carcass, and it's zero to begin with, and it's zero afterwards, we've really proven nothing. And mm-hmm. so that's where the microbial testing is, is kind of unsound, non-scientific, non-statistically based, where we might not prove anything after all this money and efforts put into this aspect. So does it seem like more of a preventative measure than anything else? 
this is more of a uh, an effort because it's never been imposed the way it's been interpreted now. Um, Fourteen years ago, when HACCP went into place, and our food safety system so much changed for our meat industry. Uh, at the time, they said you'd just have the scientific supporting documentation, monitor what you're doing, make sure you're following what that scientific paper said, and you'll be fine, uh, and you'll produce a safe product. That's what we followed for the last 12 years of HACCP. Um, and right now, I don't see this. Is, this is a complete change of interpretation thing. We didn't do it 14 years ago when we implemented HACCP, um, and for the small plants, it's been about 10 to 11 years ago. Um, we didn't do it then, so now we're going to back up and we're going to start over, and now we're going to do it uh, at this point in time. And, and it's really without any clear evidence and concise food safety problem, this shotgun approach at it uh, is really disconcerting that our food safety system has been this, is this badly broken that we need to revert back to day one. I mean, why now? Is it because we're having so much more attention to these, you know, sustainably raised products or these small producers? That's a, it's a good question because we're trying to right now work with the agencies and work with work with the different associations in the meat and poultry industry. Um, and that question has always come up: is why now? Do we have a food safety problem? And currently, right now, we've asked as the associations that represent a variety of different organizations and meat processing uh, individuals. Um, you know, where is the problem at? Let's, if there is a problem, let's focus on that problem and fix that problem. Let's not just do an overall overreaching excessive uh, endpoint uh, microbial testing or things like that in those initiatives because right now we haven't identified that a problem truly exists. If it would have, it probably would have uh, spearheaded itself a long time ago. And we've done that effort before with the agency. We've worked well with the agency before when it came to Listeria monocytogenes. They came out with a clear, concise rule mm-hmm. on what we were supposed to do, what we were supposed to do to control it, and we went in that direction. We did the same thing with jerky a few years back, and we pinpointed a problem or a potential problem, and we focused on the problem and fixed that problem. This is overreaching, excessive, and just kind of a shotgun approach to say everything's bad, we're going to start over. Mm. So there really truly hasn't been a, a pinpointed identification of a true problem of, of any great magnitude. Now, we all want the safest food possible. We all want the cleanest food possible, and we do in the United States compared to some other countries, but we still have problems that occur throughout the process, and what we're saying is that probably is a problem with implementation of a scientific paper or strategy for food safety, not so much the overall scientific approach of that paper or the validation of that paper. So this would essentially just make product from small facilities more expensive and not any more safe? Well, and I would think you'd be lucky if you made it more expensive. Yeah. Because from our aspect of it, I don't think you'll even get to that point. They'll look at say. it and they'll start cutting down products. They'll start figuring out what makes them money the most, and they'll mm-hmm. start limiting the products that's out there. It'll stifle the industry. It'll stifle you know new product development. And unfortunately, it may stifle the fact that processors would may avoid putting in new interventions if they've got thousands of dollars to test it to bring it into their facility. Right. Uh, and that's really kind of the wrong direction we want to go with this because... You know, again, food safety is important, but we still have to, to, to make a living at what we do as meat processors. And, and at the end point game, you made a good point. What are we going to gain by this? And at the end of everything and all the testing, if we're still around and we can survive, you know, that's a good aspect, but we really question what we're going to gain out of this atmosphere of, of, of validation testing right now at this point. 
Well, we still have Mario on the line with Paradise Soccer Meets, who, you know, is one of the uh, members, you know, that's going to have to change everything in his, you know, small processing facility. And Mario, um, everything Jay just said sounds to me like what we were just discussing. You might not even be able to come up with these sausages if we have to start implementing these HACCP regulations. That's very true. Um, you know, and then uh, everything Jay has said is is right on the mark. Um, you know, it's, it's going to make it very difficult for small processors to even survive, let alone make, you know, uh, live through this uh, ordeal. So, um, you know, when we start dropping out, and again, when we look at the trickle effect on how that affects all the, all the, uh, you know, the local communities around the country. I mean, again, there was an article in, in New York about uh, about not enough farmers, you know, or not enough processors taking care of farmers, you know, uh, farmers having to drive three and 400 miles just to process their products. Um, you know, if, if we're not there, how can they do that? Hmm. Now, guys, I have a question for both of you. When HACCP was introduced uh, 14 years ago or whatever, did it meet similar resistance then? Um, I'll take the initial stab at that. In 1996, when it was first designed, and then they rolled it out in different phases, the large plants had to be in in compliance in 98, small in 99, and then the the very small in 2000, according to the Small Business Administration guidelines on what those definitions are. Yes, it did meet the resistance because, you know, a lot of the smaller, very small independent processes are out there said, you know, I'm producing product. I've been producing for 50 years. I haven't had one person sick in my community. I don't have customer complaints. I'm doing everything fine. At that time, you know, overall the industry recognized that, you know, we really need better monitoring procedures of what's going on. We did at that time shave off, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20% of the inspected plants that are out there. Not to say they all went out of business, but they did change their business strategy where they either went retail exempt or... Hmm. They went custom exempt, and right now with the the push toward local buying local, know your food, know your farmer initiative, um, people can't do that with custom facilities. People can't do that with retail exempt facilities. Um, A lot of them are wanting the whole sustainable agriculture. That's going to be impossible. So, yes, it did meet resistance back then. Um, At that point, at this whole validation issue was written in the regulation. Um, that was before my time, and the more I ask questions about it, the more I find out that I really question whether the economic impact of the way they're interpreting it now was truly analyzed 14 years ago, and, and which may be a huge significant um, mark for us to push on to say that you would have probably gotten rid of much more than 15 to 20 percent of the industry at that point. Um, now, are there the same um, regulations or HACCP um, in, in place for mobile slaughterhouses? If you are USDA or state inspected, as per se, that, that Missouri has, um, yes, you, you have to, we as an industry have to comply. If you're the biggest of big plants or the smallest of small, HACCP is HACCP and everybody has to follow the same rules. So, yes, it would apply to mobile slaughter units as well. Wow. So, so Jay, I mean, uh, I wanted to ask you specifically, what, what do you have in mind to try to help these small plants, and what's the course of action that you plan on taking? Well, our course of action, this issue is new but not new. Um, back in October 2008, we first met with the agency on, on a wide variety of different issues, and the agency being FSIS, the Food Safety Inspection Service, um, kind of brought this out to our attention that that's the direction we're looking at. At that time, 
we warned our membership uh, just in a newsletter, continued on that conversation and talks with the agency on, on a variety of different levels. And then uh, back in September of 2009, we actually started working with other associations because we were extremely concerned of how this is interpreted and how it might come down from um, the FSIS inspection force. And we started working with them. And we continued that effort, and we're continuing that to this day, working with other associations, um, still communicating with the agency. We took an initiative and started developing a lot of different materials. We've put it out to our membership in newsletters and written format. We've posted all that information on our website at www.aamp.com uh, under our validation section. where We've completely devoted to that section uh, in this issue. Uh, we've created letters, form letters that processors can look at to maybe build an idea, talking points that if they need to talk to their congressman, provided them contact information to their congressman. Um, we've actually had help from a fellow processor in Missouri uh, that helped us create a uh, Excel spreadsheet to try to determine how much this is actually going to cost based on how we interpret it right now. And so they can go in there and formulate and find out how much they cost. And I've heard staggering numbers from $100,000 up to $1.4 million just initially to get this thing started. Um, our issues are going to continue to push. We're going to continue to work with other associations, and our, our continued move right now is to, uh, to potentially talk to congressmen, senators, uh, any type of legislators that are out there, people with the Agricultural Committee uh, in D.C., working with the Small Business Administration. We've kind of got multiple facets going. We're right now we're gaining a game plan on where we need to go next on this thing, because it's going to be, even if it got imposed, mm -hmm. 50% of what it, what it's stated right now, 50% still might be a problem with processors like Mario and all the processors across the United States. And Mario, have you found that um, some of these resources made available by the um, AAMP, um, have, you been, have they been useful to you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, we're in the process right now of developing our letter to our congressmen and uh, senators, uh, also to FSIS. Uh, those letters will be going out here in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, all this is very important, uh, and it's very helpful. Uh, that's why we belong to AMP. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Wonderful um, people. Do you feel that, you know, the big guys out there like Tyson Foods and Smithfield Foods, will these be a lot easier for them to kind of like work through and, you know, kind of cut these little guys out of the market by them being able to absorb these costs of these new HACCP validation I think some of some of the industry has that opinion, and, and it's really unfair and untrue. Um, we're working with uh, associations that represent some of those bigger processors, mm -hmm. and right now at this point, they have continued to still oppose it just as adamantly as we have, because if you read the guidance material closely enough, it, it takes into account species and process differences. Mm -hmm. It takes into account maybe if they tr if they change their process or change their personnel things like that, and they also to bring in prerequisite programs. So you're talking before and after any ever, any intervention that takes place. Um, the perfect example is, is beef slaughter that takes place at some of the larger packers. Mm -hmm. you know, right now they may have a dozen different interventions to try to control that pathogen, and the way this is written, they would have to test before and after most interventions, and they would also have to do it on some statistical basis. And you're talking about you know a line chain speed that, might be running up to the 350 cattle per hour. Wow. That's a lot when you start going statistical soundness on that. So they would they would incur a lot of costs as well to try to try to 
put this process together and to validate their process. So it's not a large plant versus small plant issue. It's a meat industry issue, and, and we're all taking it head-on and taking it very serious and taking a very active approach at opposing it. Now, has any government assistance been uh, proposed or subsidies or anything like that? Um, currently, no, but this is still in the draft format. Um, essentially, the agency came out uh, and provided us. We were trying to hold conversations with the agency to try to figure out what exactly was said, and it, it becomes a very difficult process of holding a conversation when half the audience doesn't know what we're talking about. And so we didn't exactly know what the guidelines were going to look like. That's why we saw right now, and that's why it's been published, these draft guidelines. So right. what's going to happen is um, since Mr. Almanza uh, extended the comment period to June 19th on this process, they're going to get those in after June 19th to take a look at them, which is going to be anywhere from we don't have a, a true deadline or date after that, but mm-hmm. then they're going to submit another draft out of out of that with the Federal Register notice on that. That's what their game plan is. And I guess our, our old position being all the associations is, you know, we want to see, we want to make it the most logical, the most applicable, and make a mark where we can. We need if there is a food safety problem and it's identified, you know, we want to know about it as an industry because we want to solve that problem and we want to produce the safest food possible. But without any true direct guidance on where the problem exists, it's very difficult for us to move forward to correct any type of potential problem that the agency thinks ones exist. And on a consumer level, is there anything we can do to help? Well, on a consumer level, people should know that, you know, somebody has to pay for this uh, overall. And the cost of whatever gets absorbed and whatever gets imposed on the meat industry is going to have to trickle down to the consumer. And that means increased food costs. And even worse, you know, it, it may be, you know, decreased variability or, or variety of products that are available to you. And I think consumers, you know, we've wrote up some very, very simple, you know, talking points with this. We've wrote it up in different newsletters that's available to the public on the website so they don't have to read complex things they may not understand with, in regards to agency policy and things like that. Um, in which they can read it, and they can also comment to their congressmen and senators. And I think, you know, they ought to because of the sustainable movement. Mm-hmm. Those products that they're not finding at at farmers markets may not be available because, um, you know, if 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 processors like Mario say, you know, I I'm going to have to focus on what what I'm good at and what I make money at the most. I'm going right. to cut out the other stuff. The end product and the end consumer is the one that gets hurt because they're not going to have that availability. It's a very uh, good point to them. So, yes, they can still comment, too, as well. Great. So we'll be sure to check out that website again is? www.aamp.com. The name of the program is The Farm Report, but we are here to raise awareness for these processing facilities, slaughterhouses, and it may go overlooked sometimes, but um, we urge all our listeners to really look into this stuff, write your representatives, and uh, hopefully we can see something be resolved. And we really thank you guys for coming on with us. This was great. And uh, we hope to hear back from you soon and maybe get some updates and see how things move along. And some good news, hopefully. Yep. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. All right. Thank Thanks, you Mario. Very much. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. We'll be back next Wednesday, live at 5. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks to Nat Wiener, the engineer. And I uh, hope you enjoy all the Mad Lib. Somewhat of a travesty having me. Then he told the people you can call me your majesty. Keep your battery charged. He know it won't stick, yo. And it's not his fault you kick slow. Should've let your trick hold, chick hold your sick glow. Plus nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go. And you know I know that's a bunch of snow. The beat is so butter. Keep the slow cutter as he uttered a calm flow. Don't talk about my mom, yo.